What do the following fictional characters all have in common? Dudley, Harry's cousin in Harry Potter. Nellie from Little House on the Prairie. Edmund from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Lucy from Peanuts. Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka. What is it that all of these have in common? <laughs> right? What they have in common is that they're all petulant, manipulative, bullying, entitled, annoying, frustrating, self-centered, spoiled brats. Nobody likes a spoiled brat, do they? Nobody does at all. They're hated characters. Everybody, nobody likes spoiled brats. Nobody likes to be around them. And you might know some spoiled brats that came to mind as I was mentioning them, like, yeah, they're kind of like that. Now, you might ask yourself, how does a child become a spoiled brat, in case you may not know, right? You might ask, were they always that way? Were they born that way? Is that just kind of something part of their personality? Now, we're going to look at, yes, the natural tendency, right? The default mode of a child's heart is with a a propensity towards becoming a spoiled brat. But I want us to see from God's word today that spoiled brats are created through passive, timid, spiritually devoid, and weak-willed parenting. And that might be a sobering thing for us to hear today. Now, every parent in this room would say parenting is not for the faint of heart. It's not easy. It is among one of the most difficult tasks that God has given us here on this cursed earth to engage in. Children are going to challenge you. They're going to fight you for dominance. They're going to try to manipulate you. They're going to seek to get their own way. And none of us really in the Lord sets out to raise disobedient, rebellious children. Anybody set that as a goal for your parenting? No, nobody has that as a goal, right? Our goal is to raise children who know the Lord, fear the Lord, are are well-mannered, well-behaved, right? And are are walking in the way of wisdom all of the days of their life. And I, I wish that was as easy as that sounds, but it's not. If you're a parent, you know the struggle. As I said, we all need wisdom to raise our children. We need wisdom to, to keep them on the path of wisdom. If you're a grandparent in this room, your job's not done either. If, if, if God has blessed you with grandchildren, then you're still engaged in this process and you're still working with your children to help them raise their children and steer them in the way of wisdom. And if you're desiring to be a parent and you're not one yet, well, then you need to equip yourself, and, and that way you're armed and equipped for when God does give you children, how you're to steward their life in the way of wisdom. So this topic and this theme is of vital importance for all of us here. So we're going to turn to Proverbs, and we're going to see what God's wisdom has for us as parents to help us to raise our children to walk in the way of wisdom and the fear of the Lord. We're going to look at this one verse in the moment, and then we're going to look at a variety of verses in Proverbs, the different Proverbs, and what they say regarding things around the central theme. So Proverbs 22, 6, hear the words of the living God. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. These are the words of the Lord. 
Now, when it comes to methodologies for parenting, there are a ton of different books that you can read on it. Tons of seminars and conferences that you can attend. Some of you have a number of those books in your home, have read them, have attended these conferences and seminars. You've learned a lot about different techniques, different parenting styles. There's a whole host of them. Sometimes they contradict one another. I remember when we were reading some of those, this book talked about you know, grace-based parenting and this, and, and the other one's talking about ruling with an iron fist and how to beat them down when they get out of line. In our heart, we wanted to gravitate towards the latter rather than the former because children do try you. <laughs> but there are a number of great resources out there. I've actually listed a few. They're at the end of your sermon notes. For those of you who are new, you can follow along uh, with the sermon by navigating on your smartphone to that uh, QR code that you see in that seat back in front of you. Our sermon notes are online. All the scriptures that we use are there. But towards the end of that, I've listed just a few resources that are helpful uh, for young families and parents uh, to, to, in some of the things that we're going to talk about here today. Now, what we're going to find in the wisdom literature of Scripture is that when we come to Proverbs, what you have in your hands is a training manual for parents and children. That's what it is. In fact, it's the very reason Solomon wrote this in the first place. He tells us that right in chapter 1. Look at this. He clues us in from the beginning. Proverbs 1, 2, and 4, here's why he wrote the Proverbs. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. The youth are the children, the young people, right? In order to know wisdom, we were told in Proverbs 1, 7, the prerequisite uh, quality is to have the fear of the Lord. That is the beginning of knowledge. That is the beginning of wisdom. And what you find in the first nine chapters are lessons from a father to a son. These first nine chapters are written in that style. Here, here a father telling his son, here's what you need to know. Here's why you need to embrace wisdom and love knowledge and treasure it in your heart and not forsake the commands the father's teaching. All of that is found for us there because he's writing to the youth and he's writing an instruction manual for parents to instruct their children because the path of wisdom starts in the home. The journey towards your children gaining and growing in wisdom is not going to begin out there. It's going to begin in the home. And it's one of the most important things that you and I can take away from Proverbs and in fact from all of Scripture uh, when it comes to this. That parents are to be the primary teachers of wisdom. It's not the teacher in their school. It's not the children's director or the children's pastor or Sunday school teacher. It's you, mom and dad. It's always been and is currently God's plan. We've read this before. We're going to read it again. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be where? On your heart. Mom and dad's got to be on your heart first. Then you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. 
You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The home is to be the training center where wisdom is learned. But notice what's in view here. What kind of learning is in in view when we read this? It's not just life skills. Yes, we need to teach our children life skills, right? We need to teach them what it's going to look like to go out into the workforce and how to keep a home and how to do a budget and a whole host of, uh, of, of things that they need, skills that they need to live in life. Wisdom is the skill of living rightly after all. But what is in view here and what's in mind is theological instruction. It's instruction in God's word and all that he commands. His words need to be first on the heart of each parent, and then they're to convey that, teach that, instruct that to their children diligently. And they're to use certain tools that Proverbs talks about and Scripture talks about, the tools of training and instruction and discipline, reproof, correction. And in all of that, a heart of wisdom is being shaped in our children. And that's the vision I want you to see that's cast in Scripture for the Christian household. The Christian household is to be a training ground of wisdom. It's like a wisdom boot camp. Parents are the drill sergeants. Well, maybe you shouldn't act that way, but you get the point, right? This is where we learn the the skills of life, the skill of wisdom in all things, but specifically this kind of theological instruction, the word of God, the commands of God for our children. This is what shapes their heart. And if you... Don't help shape a heart of wisdom in your children. Be assured that their heart will be shaped by their own selfish, sin-centered nature and by the world. So let's look at Proverbs 22.6 here. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Again, a familiar proverb uh, that has caused many a parent uh, whose children did not turn out as expected later in life to feel guilt and condemnation. I've heard a lot of parents ask the question when they have wayward children older in life. Where did we go wrong? What did we do wrong? What could we have done differently? We did our best to raise them in a Christian home, in a godly home. Why did they turn out this way? And as we read this particular proverb, it seems to be phrased in the way like a promise, right? That our children are going to remain on the right path as long as we start them off on the right path. We train them on the right path, they're going to end up on the right path. Is that what it means? Recall our teaching on how to read Proverbs from a little while ago. One of those principles is that Proverbs contain general promises for the righteous. That is, for the righteous, these things are generally true for us now. Sometimes, generally, they work out this way. And the reality is that ultimately they're going to be true later, right? On the other side of this thing, on the other side of eternity, all the the promises of the righteous are fulfilled completely because they've been fulfilled in Christ Jesus, okay? But is this particular proverb fall into that same category of the general promises of proverb? And this is usually how this proverb is taught. I recall many a a lesson uh, throughout my 30-something years of, of being in the church and listening to thousands of messages when it came to this came to this, it was like, if you do your part, then this is the outcome. You do A, B is always the outcome uh, in life. If you're diligent to raise your children in the Lord, start them out on the right path, then they're going to stay in it when they get older. 
The problem with that, that is that there have been so many examples where that is not how it has turned out. So what gives? I said earlier, I know many parents who feel like they've blown it because their grown children are not currently walking with the Lord. And, and this particular proverb is like a, a, a stone of condemnation upon them and, and guilt. So before we dive into this, can I take just a quick moment to alleviate the guilt that some parents might be experiencing, especially when it concerns how this particular proverb has been taught and how you have felt like you've blown it. I know there are things that I feel like I've blown as a parent. Uh, there's a lot of things I regret, you know, in my parenting, you know, things I wish I knew then that I know now. I think I would have done things a lot different. And many of you probably can, uh, can uh, jive with that as well. We fail at parenting. We do screw up. You know, we, we, we don't parent in a way that comports with the kind of wisdom we're going to be looking at today. We can all point to our failings, uh, even though we are endeavoring to be good moms and dads who love our children and who want nothing more than for our children to serve the Lord. If we're in Christ, then when it comes to even this, our failings as parents, we must remember that that same grace that has forgiven us, that same grace that has covered our sins, is the same grace that we need to appropriate into our hearts right now when we feel the sting of the condemnation of the way we may be interpreting this particular Proverbs. The, the weight we might feel of any guilt or condemnation for failing as a parent because maybe our children are not making wise decisions into their adulthood. And I don't want you to carry that. If you've taught your children God's word, if you've endeavored to raise them in a godly home, what can we do now but trust the Lord? What can we do but have confidence in our great God to continue to work in the heart of our children even as they go into adulthood and later in life and they're messing up and they're, they're not doing, they're not following the counsel we gave them, right? They're not obeying the things we talked about in the home. We have to know that we serve a God who, who will effectually call in the right time at his appointed time and he's the one who can transform their hearts. We have to trust that. So we continue to pray for our wayward children and those that are into adulthood are still waffling and not making wise decisions, right? Uh, trusting that uh, the Lord is mighty to save. As I was praying this morning, I just kept just sensing that over and over again just to remind us that the Lord is mighty to save, that salvation is His from A to Z. So guess what? We have to believe that concerning our children who are adult and aren't serving the Lord right now. So they may not be currently, but we will continue to pray with confidence in our God who does save. Amen. So I, as we go through this, I, we're, we're going to approach this proverb in a different way maybe than you've considered. Uh, and it's a way I believe is faithful to Solomon's intent with this proverb. So I'm going to answer quickly. Is Proverbs 22.6 a promise? No, it's not a promise. Not like the general promises we have been looking at in Proverbs. Here is what this particular proverb is. It's a warning. It's a warning to parents. And it's also a responsibility that is placed upon parents. But here's what it's not doing. It's not holding you accountable for the wise or foolish decisions that your adult children make later in life. 
Why? Because we've seen in Proverbs, who's accountable for their foolish decisions? The individual is responsible for that, okay? So we need to, this is why we need to have a robust grasp of all the Proverbs, and we don't look at one particular proverb and make a whole teaching out of it, because that's not how this thing works, okay? All right. I say all that just to come to that point um, so that we are clear on this, all right? Now, our English translations read, we read in the ESV, train up a child in the way he should go. Let me show you two other translations, how they render the first part of this column. Train up a child in the way he should go is the ESV. The CSV renders it, start a youth out on his way. Notice the subtle difference there. Train up a child in the way he should go, start a youth out on his way. And the NIV is, start children off on the way they should go. And I feel like the CSV version actually gets it a little bit closest to uh, the Hebrew, the original language here. Because that phrase that our ESV puts in there, he should go, this qualifier to the child's way, is not actually found in the Hebrew. This is something that the, the Bible editors, the Bible translators add as a way to help with the interpretation of it. I, I shared way back at the beginning of this series the the grammar, the language of Proverbs is extremely difficult to interpret. I mean, there's volumes written on this stuff, and Bible scholars do their best to try to understand this ancient Hebrew language and this, these Proverbs that are a culmination of wisdom taken from various parts of the world, various regions. If you recall, Solomon had people from all over the world come to hear of him, but Solomon also learned from others. There are proverbs in, in your, in, that you find in your Bible here that are actually borrowed from Egyptian proverbs. Okay? Solomon took those, tailored them, and fashioned them to the wisdom literature that we have today. They're truisms. They're general truths in life that you have in proverbs, right? So the language is cumbersome. It's challenging. It's difficult. So translators add that there to help us understand it uh, a little bit better. But that phrase there, that qualifier, that descriptor of the way he should go or the way they should go is not in the Hebrew. So the literal, a very literal translation of the original language here as uh, uh, some Bible commentators render it is this. Train a child in his way. Train a child in his way and when he's old he will not depart from it. Notice ESV is train up a child in the way he should go a literal rendering is train a child in his way. And I think that it's better to stick with the literal translation to, to help us understand this in the context of the flow of the rest of the Proverbs. And hopefully you'll see that as we go here. All right. So what does it mean to train a child in his ways? Now, one of the ways I've heard this passage interpreted is to train a child according to their natural bent or inclination. You ever heard that? You're training a child according to the way they're designed, the way they're fashioned, their natural bent in life. So as a parent, you have to become an expert on your child. Figure out how they're uniquely uh, wired. And learn how to communicate to them in the style that is conducive to them. Uh, observe their physical traits, their mental traits and, and abilities and, and, and seek to help them grow developmentally, develop, developmentally around the way they're uniquely made. Now, there is wisdom in that. 
You know, of course we should do those kind of things. Not every person learns the same way. We know this in life. There are tactile learners. There are people that are auditory learners, visual learners, right? People have different learning styles. Some don't have any style. And those are very challenging to figure out. (laughs) But these are things you want to do to help your children. And it's all well and good. But I don't think that's what's in view here. And this interpretation doesn't fit with the rest of Proverbs. Because look how Proverbs characterizes the natural bent or the natural way of children or youth. It characterizes them as foolish, as lacking sense, right? Chapter 7, 7, they lack sense. They need to learn wisdom and receive instruction because it's not something that they're born with. We see that in one four. This is why the Proverbs have been written. Proverbs 22, 15, we're going to look at in a few moments. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child. 23, 13, 22, 15 tells us that children need discipline. And that folly needs to be corrected. And a taste for wisdom needs to be cultivated. And this is the task that parents have been given. Because folly is the default factory setting of a child. When they pop out of the womb, their default factory settings is folly. What, that cute little cherub, an angel? Yes, folly. Now you've all bought things, right, that, that are already set to a default mode, a default settings, and you get to tweak it and make adjustments, but if you reset your phone to factory settings, it's as if you got it out of the box. Well, our children, when they come out of the box, so to speak, have a default setting, and that is not wisdom. It's folly, and that's their natural bent, foolishness. So guess what we don't want to train up our children according to their natural bent? Because their natural bent is folly. Why would you want to train them in that way, in his way? No. We don't train our children to follow their hearts, right? Good, godly Christian parents, do you train your children to follow their heart? No. What is the heart, Scripture tells us? Deceitful and wicked above all else. What what does the Bible tell us about the heart? It's depraved and desperately wicked. What does it tell us about the heart? It wants foolish, selfish, sinful things. So we're born with a sin nature. Well, we don't train our kids to go their own way. Proverbs tells us that way, the way of folly leads to death. So no, we're not going to train them according to their way. They're born with a sin nature. A natural bent of rebellion. A natural bent of selfishness. And Vody Bauckham is right to call them vipers and diapers. Because that's what they are. <laughs> like all of mankind, our children are born sons of Adam. Dead in the trespass and sins, according to Ephesians chapter 2. So when it comes to this particular proverb, train up a child in his way, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. I want you to see that, and I agree, I think, with a, several Bible commentators on this, that Solomon's actually kind of being sarcastic with this proverb. It's actually the negative of a way to view this as a promise. Train a child in his ways sarcastically means train a child when he is young to have his way. And when he is old, he will keep insisting on having his way. What Solomon is teaching sarcastically here is a recipe for the making of a spoiled brat. 
This is how they turn out when you let them have their way. Because that is their way. And if you let them have their way, they'll always want to have their way. And later in life, they're going to keep having their way. Let your kids have their own way when they are young. And they will continue on that foolish path when they are old. There's this window of opportunity for parents to correct this foolish behavior in their children. Because children left to their own way will self-destruct. That's what we see in Scripture here. We're going to look at Proverbs 29.15 shortly, but look how this tracks with this way to interpret it. 29.15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself... A child who has his own way brings shame to his mother. Now, that's a promise, right? That's, what's good. that's the outcome there, right? A child left to his own way who's not disciplined, who's not reproved. Here's the outcome. It's going to bring harm to themselves, and they're going to bring harm to um, their mother and father. Because what do they need? They need correction. They need to be shown what is Right? And everyone thinks their babies are born angels because they're so cute. And God made them cute so we don't kill them. You know this. So we actually nurture them and help them in life, right? Because all you're doing is, you know, cleaning up spit and, you know, poop and all of this stuff, right? And they're crying and you don't sleep and they always want to eat, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's not just the moms that deal with this. Dads deal with this too if you're helping uh, with, with the kids, right? And we think our babies are angels who could do no wrong. But all to that I say is just wait a minute. Because that halo will soon turn into horns. <laughs> and it doesn't take long, right? You see that. Babies are selfish. What do they want? Not what you want. You want sleep. You want rest. You want a clean house. You don't want to change diapers. You want to take a shower. You have your mom, right? You want to be able to do your hair for the first time in six months, right? But that's not what the baby wants. Baby wants what the baby wants. And those cries aren't just tears of joy. That's a demand. That is manipulation, That is tugging on you to make sure you feed them or change them or rock them or whatever it is that they want to soothe them. And that's the reality when it comes to these particular things. First time you see your child playing with another child and they rip a toy, you know, out of the other child's hands. You're like, where did they learn that? Well, they've never seen me rip the remote control out of Betz's hand when I want it. Or when they yank their sibling's hair. They've never seen, you know, your child's getting, they've never seen daddy pull mommy's hair. Well, maybe they have, but <laughs> shouldn't be the case before the children, okay? We're, we're not modeling that behavior in the home. How do they learn that? Well, they don't have to learn that. It's their default mode. They don't have to learn that because that's already in their heart. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Sin is bound up in the heart of the child. Their nature is selfish and self-centered. And the sooner you embrace that and accept that as a parent, the better equipped you are to now begin to help your child and bring the necessary correction and discipline to 
to drive that folly out of their heart. It is super important. Why do they throw a tantrum? Because they want their own way. You have the child throw a tantrum when you told them no. It's manipulation. They want their own way. That needs to be corrected so they don't persist on the path of folly. I'm going to go through these four Proverbs quickly here, but they're all warnings to parents about the harm they bring to their children when they don't discipline them and the harm, of course, that is brought upon our children uh, when they don't receive correction. Proverbs 20.20, if one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. This is a rebellious, sinful child. The outcome, the end of the matter of their life is not a good thing. Again, ultimately, again, this, this talking about utter darkness, right? It, what's in view here is beyond death here, right? Th- this is talking about hell. This is talking about, but about not having the life of God. Proverbs thirty seventeen: The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. This is a wonderful scripture to put over the crib. <laughs> You know, on the wall of your children's room. Right? <laughs> it's pretty graphic, isn't it? That may not happen this exact way. It's kind of gruesome. Kind of cool to some, but kind of gruesome here. But what's the point? There's a curse upon the disobedient. The, like the outcome of the life of the foolish and the disobedient and the rebellious is not a good one. Proverbs 17, 21, he who sires a fool gets himself sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. And if that is the outcome of your child later in life, and they're choosing folly, boy, that brings sorrow to the heart of a parent. It is heartbreaking, absolutely. Proverbs 17, 25, a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. Nobody wants that. Nobody sets out to raise a spoiled brat. So let's look at some of the tools of training here. One of the uh, propositions of Newton's first law of motion is that a body in motion will continue in motion and move at a constant speed and in a straight line until it is uh, acted upon by an external force through friction. If friction is brought against that moving body, then that friction can actually slow its movement, right? And also work to maybe move it from its direction. And this is kind of the work of a parent. This is kind of the job that's kind of been entrusted to us when it comes to this aspect of teaching our children wisdom. Because our children are moving down, at, uh, down a path of folly. They're moving on a straight line towards hell. Why? Because we're all born that way. Without exception. Not a single child on this planet is an angel by nature. We're all born with a sin nature. And we're moving down this path of folly. And the task we've been given is to apply the friction of wisdom with the tools of instruction and correction and discipline to slow their descent into folly and steer them towards the path of wisdom. And in our day, we have to apply greater and greater friction as our kids move down this descent towards folly and away from wisdom. Because this world does not value wisdom in the least. There's nothing in this world 
that celebrates wisdom. No, on the contrary, it celebrates folly. It celebrates foolishness. It's what it holds up in high esteem. Our world does not encourage our youth to grow up. It doesn't encourage them to mature into adulthood. It doesn't, it doesn't encourage them to take accountability and responsibility for their actions and for their life. The world doesn't value wisdom. Our boys are not being taught how to be masculine men. What does our culture want? Our culture wants to keep them in a state of prolonged adolescence. Don't need to get a job. You can still live at home. You don't need to get married. You don't need to have kids. Mooch off of your parents. Play games. Go out whenever you want. Don't be encumbered with a spouse. You don't need that in your life. You don't need someone. You don't need the old ball and chain. They don't want to grow up. We have young men who don't want to do hard things. They don't want to pursue a mate. This is what our world is producing. Like that's the motion of uh, the direction and folly of our, of our youth and our young men. Girls are not shown good examples of womanhood and femininity by the world. Sometimes not even by Christians. They don't want to learn how to keep a home. They certainly don't want to marry. They don't want to have children. How many, how many young women in our culture today say, well, I don't want kids. Kids are a burden. Kids get in the way of what I want to do, the career I want to have. A lot of friction of wisdom needs to be applied to our children to help them navigate this world, our culture, and certainly to drive the folly that exists in their heart. It's a difficult task, but it's not impossible by the grace of God. So the home is to be a training center for wisdom. When we think of training, you think about an athlete. When an athlete trains, right, it's a high commitment thing. Someone who wants to excel in a given sport, in a, in a, in a particular field, right, not only do they have a high level of commitment, but they're, they, they do the hard work. They put in the time. It's a time-consuming endeavor. Those who want to be at the top of their game don't just work nine to five, right? Every, every, every spare moment they have is applied to that that they want to gain mastery in and excel in. There is training. It's difficult. It's blood, sweat, and tears. And it's something that's done over and over again until there is mastery. This is the task of parenting and training. It doesn't ever end. It is an ongoing, high commitment, high level of intensity, involvement, and continuity so that we can help our children grow in wisdom. And Wisdom teaches us that we need to start this training when they're young. We need to teach them uh, things that are going to have to be taught over a long period of time, so it's better that we start early. There's a, there's a huge difference when you start with a child who's two or three years old Versus one that's 12 or 13. And you start now trying to teach them the ways of wisdom. Again, there's a window of opportunity where you're going to be most effective. Why? Because younger, they're at a stage where they're still being shaped and developed. And that's the time where you want to be part of that shaping and developing with wisdom principles. So it's never too early to start. Start teaching them principles and precepts from God's word. Again, this is important. It's, remember, it's not just life skills. Those things are important. 
This in view, what God's instructing us here is theological in orientation, right? So we want wisdom from above. That's what we want to instruct our children. So start catechizing your children when they're really young. This is something I wish I knew 18 years ago and had a conviction on 18 years ago. But you who have young children, start right now. I've put some resources in those links there. Order some of those books. Begin catechizing your children. Begin teaching them doctrine from God's word. Begin teaching them. I don't know why, where we've gotten the perception here. Well, I know where we've gotten the perception. But why this perception persists where we think children really aren't smart enough to capture hard truths. They are very smart and they absolutely can capture hard truths. Okay? So start when they're young. Of course, you're teaching to their, to their age level. I love hearing from parents who, who have young children and say, hey, because our kids are in our service, they ask questions when they get home, and parents get to have conversations there that I promise you in some churches they're not having because their little kid is putting little flanograph Noah on the board. Okay? Big difference. Starts in the home, though, brothers and sisters. That's where it starts. Not worldly wisdom, but godly wisdom. Teach them the Ten Commandments. Teach them the Lord's Prayer. Teach them about the character of God. Teach them about the holiness of God, the righteousness of God. Read God's Word to them. Pray with them. Pray for them. Teach them to pray. Discuss God's Word in the home at the dinner table. Right? That's what Deuteronomy 6 has in view here. Make sure your family gathers with God's people on the Lord's Day. Do not underestimate this moment with your children. It is, it is a sad indictment of our culture, the infrequency of attendance in the gathering on the Lord's Day with God's people. Where this has become optional, in fact, even unnecessary, which is why there's a ton of kids in sports programs on Sunday mornings. And I'm going to be very clear, it is a shame to a Christian parent to take your children out of the house of the Lord to do that. And I say that unapologetically. If you don't place importance on this, that not only does God's word command, but is necessary for our spiritual growth and godliness, our spiritual formation and growing in the fellowship of believers, you're going to expect your child later on to value this? And then your heart is going to be filled with sorrow and they go, I'm, I'm not going to go to church. Why not? Well, we hardly ever went. Enough said. I could say more, but I'm not. All right? All of these things are important. Deuteronomy 6, teach them diligently to your children. That word diligently in in the Hebrew is is a word used for honing a sword, to, to produce a sharp edge, driving a whetstone over the hard iron and steel. Is that done one time to sharpen it? No, that has to be done over and over and over and over and over again. So it's a continual, ongoing thing. The work of training and instruction is intentional, and it is ongoing and continual. And if you're saying, you know what, Dan, I don't feel up to the task to do that. Well, good. Because that way you'll be more dependent on God in doing it and dependent on His grace uh, and Spirit to help you. Because this is not easy. 
It is hard. It's going to try. There's going to be moments. You're tired. That's the last thing you want to do is engage your child in a gospel conversation after a long, hard day of work or cleaning the house or any number of things that all of us have to do day in and day out. Yet the task of training and instructing our children never, never ends. Never ends. Again, grab one of those resources if you don't. Ask me. I will help you. There's guys here who do a great job with their kids and catechizing their children and instructing their children. I'll be happy to direct you to them so we can learn from one another. Get those resources. Learn doctrine. If you're like, I, I don't know how to, I don't know if I understand the doctrine of Scripture enough to teach our kids. There's wonderful resources and tools. Hey, listen, just grab it and read it. As they're learning, you're learning. That's okay. That's okay. When we talk about having family worship, we're like, I don't know what to do. Just read a passage. I mean, come here. Be here. Pray with your kids. Sing a hymn. It's not rocket science. It really isn't. It's just not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing, never-ending process of shaping wisdom in the heart of your children. Spurgeon Wrote, train up a child in the way he should go, but be sure you go that way yourself. So grow in wisdom yourself. Grow in God's word. We're continually exhorting you to that. Why? So that you can teach, be diligent in teaching that to your children as well. Let's talk about discipline and correction. Children, again, are naturally inclined to choose folly. So they'll manipulate you. They'll throw tantrums. They'll negotiate with you. Have you have your kids negotiate with you? Play one parent against the other. Some of them are masters at that. We just watched our little niece do that here recently to her parents. Okay, I was like, that's what kids do. Okay, why? Folly is in the heart. Sin is in the heart. They want to get their own way. They want to control their parents. So we have to correct this folly. All disobedience needs to be corrected. Don't let it slide. The goal here, too, is they're not, you're not just teaching them and training them to obey you. By doing this, you're teaching and training them to obey God by obeying you. This is so important. Don't forget this instruction and this lesson for us. So we need to correct it. They need to know right and wrong. And when they do, and when they do wrong, it needs to be corrected. So this is where discipline comes in as a tool for training here. Now, often this discipline is going to take the form of a verbal reproof, a verbal rebuke, right, that's given to your children. That's going to be probably... Unless you have a really stubborn child, this is the, the major way, the usual way, the general way you're going to be bringing discipline and correction. But it goes beyond just saying, stop doing that, you're doing wrong. That's where a lot of parents stop with their correction. That's wrong, stop it. You better stop. I'm going to count to three, one. One thousand one. One Mississippi, two, I mean, it's never ending because we never get to that count because they don't want to enact the discipline. And kids are smart. They know that. They know you're not going to get to three, <laughs> right? They're smarter than us sometimes when it comes to this, right? But the discipline is, is just not telling them that. Correction, discipline, and training must be addressed to the heart, all the while pointing our children to the gospel. And this Corrective rebuke, this verbal rebuke, is multi-layered uh, in the way we communicate it. Uh, Ted Tripp has a great 
book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. I highly recommend it. It's one of the parenting books that I, I highly recommend. But he writes here about shepherding the heart of our children and what that means. It means to, and this quote is in your notes, uh, helping them understand themselves. Helping them understand God's world, the ways of God, how sin works in the human heart, how the gospel comes to them at the most profound levels of human need. Shepherding the hearts of children also involves helping them understand their motivations, goals, wishes, and desires. It exposes the true nature of reality and encourages faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a lot more than just saying, stop doing that. It's wrong, okay? The objective here is to move them back to the path of obedience. First to the Lord and then to us as parents. And we're correcting them so that they will grow to value the way of wisdom over folly. That's one of the highest goals here. So verbal command, a verbal instruction, a verbal reproof is usually where this begins. You sit your children down. Yes, they did wrong, but here's why it's wrong. Here's the consequence of that. And here's what God's word has to say about this. Here's why it's contrary to the nature of God and what he's taught us as his people. Here is the effect of your sin. Here's why you sinned. And here's the remedy in the gospel and the work of Jesus Christ. We need to walk our children through that. And again, it does not involve counting. Some of our parents are really good at that kind of math. But you notice it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So let's talk about another tool that works. The rod of correction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the rod of correction. Sometimes the verbal reproof doesn't work. Doesn't matter how much reasoning, you know, we employ and logic and walking them through it, these things, right? The sinful, selfish behavior persists. And in fact, it may uh, intensify. And here's where we may employ the rod of correction. Now, again, this is a controversial, hot topic issue. And in this room, I'm sure we may have a variety of opinion uh, about spanking and this kind of uh, uh, punitive punishment, if you will, by using the rod of correction or some type of spanking here, okay? And there's many. I mean, I, I, I read some articles this week in preparation for this of, of a lot of Christians, right, who are just so opposed to uh, spanking and using any type of discipline that inv- involves inflicting uh, some measure of pain as uh, as a consequence, I mean, they're like, this is barbaric. That is just something ancient civilizations did. Right? We are enlightened now. We know better. We have evolved as a species and no longer need to do that. Yet, there are spoiled brats at every level of society, right? So somebody didn't get spanked enough out there, right? So, um, again, we may have different things. I'm not trying to make light of that. I understand that there are special cases, because one of the things that we're going to, what about children who are autistic or have special needs? Are we going to spank them? We always want to argue from the extremes. We're not going to go there today, okay? We know there are nuances. We know there are special cases. Come on, all right? Let's use a little bit of wisdom and smarts when it comes to this, all right? But if you have an issue with spanking, I want you to wrestle with the passages we're going to read today and really contemplate what this has to say regarding using the rod of correction to bring discipline to our children. Look at these three particular Proverbs, and there's a couple of others, but these particular three. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, 
but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. There's a connection here between the one who uses the rod of correction, the rod of discipline on their children and saying that they're the ones who actually love their children. But the ones who spare it, who don't use it, actually hate them because they won't bring the kind of correction, discipline that is necessary. Proverbs 22.15, again, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but look what is a tool to help drive that away. The rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 23, 13, and 14, 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, guess what? He won't die. Oh, how about that? If you strike him with the rod, look at th- this is actually a rescue mission. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. I'm joking, but not really. <laughs> okay. Because a child that's not disciplined and left on the path of folly, his end, her end, will be destruction. Will be death, will be Sheol, will be utter darkness. So it is a rescue mission. And one of the tools is the rod. Now, what's a rod? I guess it could be whatever you need. But in view here, right, is a small stick. Some people call it a switch, right? Not a baseball bat. Not a two-by-four, okay? That's not here, okay? It's a small, it's a small rod. It's a small stick. I'm scared of some of you guys here. Maybe. It's applied when verbal rebukes and correction have failed. But I don't want you to just see the rod as a physical action that you take, but a principle that you're trying to teach your children. And the principle is that a little pain in the present, applied in love will produce the desired fruit of obedience. A little pain as a consequence for their rebellion, for their selfishness, for their folly, applied in love with a desire to see this as the result, right? The peaceful fruit of righteousness and obedience. Hebrews 12, 11 talks about this. For the moment, all discipline seems painful, God's word says, rather than pleasant, as it should. Discipline should not be Pleasant. If it's pleasant, you're not doing it right. Okay? But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So discipline teaches us there are consequences. There's consequences to our sinful behavior, to our sinful actions. And it should be uncomfortable. They should feel it. I know Ariel has laughed a little bit later on. She says, oh, I always prefer dad spanking me than mom. Because his really didn't even hurt at all. Part of it is was I'm trying to be measured and make sure I'm not wielding more force than necessary. I guess mom didn't care as much. <laughs> right? But it should be uncomfortable, right? It should, there should be a sting. There should be pain. But it should never be harsh or excessive. Okay? This passage, the rod is not advocating severe beatings. And I know there are some in this room that endured physical abuse in the home from a parent who disciplined in anger and who did beat their children. I know that. I know some of the stories in this room. So when it comes to this kind of discipline, you hold back because you're like, I, I know what I experienced. I know what I went through. I would never want to do that to my child. So this is not advocating for that at all. Never where you find God's word telling you this is how you discipline. If you love your child... Beat them close to death. 
that's not here at all. Nor leave lasting marks and scars on their backside or on the back of their legs. That's physical abuse. That's not what it's talking about here. What it's talking about here is employing the tool of discipline with the goal that to yield this peaceful fruit of righteousness. So we don't spank for everything. Okay? That's not right. That don't, there's some parents where every little thing will smack the hand of a child. Don't do that. that. That's not discipline. Or whacking them every time for every little thing. This is not wisdom. There's appropriate times to apply it. We need wisdom to do that. When you get good at this, sometimes all you have to do is stare at your child for a moment, right? And they know what to do, okay? Because they know what's coming. And that's okay. A little bit of fear of the Lord, a little bit of fear of mom or dad, too, of the consequences. And there's nothing wrong with that. Stop believing the lies of this world. Because what we have in this world is a bunch of undisciplined children, right? Who never mature, never grow up, who remain in folly. And now they want to tell you how to raise your children so that they can walk in folly. Man, we, we don't listen to the wisdom of the world when it comes to that. We understand we have been given a, a, a stewardship from the Lord. So we're going to honor what God's word says concerning this. And we're going to pray and we're going we're to have the fear of the Lord ourselves and apply discipline with wisdom and love to our children. And with that, I will segue into this. When we discipline our children, we have to keep our own heart motives in check. This is super important when we're disciplining our children. Sadly, some parents discipline in anger. They're frustrated with their children. They're irritated. They're bothered. I mean, they've had it up to here, you know, with their kids. Or they've been embarrassed by their kids in front of others because they've misbehaved. And then they turn and vent that frustration, irritation, annoyance, and anger on their children. And then, then that's done from not the proper place, not the right heart motivation, but from our own sinful one. Because here's one truth you will learn as a parent. How you discipline your children will reveal the hidden idols of your heart. If your heart idol is control and your kid is acting the fool... You're going to do everything to try to bend them to your control. And you're going to discipline them that with that in mind, not their heart in mind. Not, not to bring the gospel to bear, but because you need to be in control. And to be in control means your kids need to do absolutely everything you tell them to do. So that you can feel good. So that you can feel in a good place. That is not the right heart motivation. Or because your kids are inconveniencing you. You just want to kick your feet up. Sip on your little, you know, Merlot. Watch your favorite, you know, holiday Hallmark movie. Or I don't know what you guys watch, what you ladies watch. Soap opera? I don't want to say soap opera either. But, you know, and, uh, and uh, you know, they're just, they're inconveniencing you. They're bother- your idol's comfort. And if something is moving you out of that place of comfort, right, you're going you're gonna to bring the hammer down on that. We don't discipline that way. That's not discipline in love. And that's discipline out of our own selfish desires as well. This is what I mean by that. Uh, discipline is to be an expression of our love for our child. So it's corrective, not punitive. It's not just to punish, but to correct. 
Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Isn't that it? The Lord disciplines us because he loves us. Because we're his children. Right? We discipline our children also the same way because we love them. We want to correct them. We want to discipline them for righteousness. So check your heart. Right? If you're angry, you know, if you're like the first inclination is to grab the two by four or the bat, go take a walk. Because <laughs> wisdom will tell us when is the right time to bring the correction and the discipline as well. The way scripture instructs us is to train, instruct, correct, and discipline our children. And the way it's telling us to do that rails against the philosophy of the world that says you as a parent need to be your kid's buddy. You're not their buddy. You're their parent. There's some parental relationships that look like high school friends. That's not being a parent. That's not wisdom in the least here. Okay? So, again, that's worldly wisdom. And that's why there's so many spoiled brats raised out there. Okay? We have an enormous responsibility before God for how we steward the lives and shepherd the heart of our children. If you allow your children to be self-centered now and selfish now and have their own way now, they're going to be self-centered later on in life and want to have their way all the time later on in their life and nobody likes that. They are going to have a hard time in life. There's a very simple little two-letter word that you need to learn as a parent. No. Rehearse that with me. One, two, three. No. No. Yeah. Look at that. Wow. I think parents are getting emboldened in here. Learn to say no often. You ain't killing your kid. All right, it's, it's important that we do that, okay? Over and over again, you have to discipline. It's a must if you love your child. You have to hold them accountable. They don't need to always get their way. They have to learn that they are not the center of the universe. And if you always let them get their way, that's what they think. And then when they're old, they'll not depart from their own way. That's not what we want, Right? We have to let them know that you as a parent do not exist to cater to every whim and want that they have. And they need to learn that other people matter. Other people need to be esteemed more highly than themselves. Those are important things that we teach our kids. So in light of our child's natural bent, let's talk about the gospel and parenting in closing. In light of their natural bent, in light of their sin nature, in light of them wanting to have their own way, Our children's greatest need is Jesus. It's your greatest need. And this is why when we talk about how we discipline, how we train, how we instruct, how we correct, the gospel has to be the central focus of our parenting. It's not an add-on. It's the operating system. Okay? And that's important. The focus of our parenting, brothers and sisters, is not simply behavior modification. What are we after? We're after heart transformation. If all we want are well-behaved little children who won't embarrass us, you know, in polite company, then you're going to do a great job raising little Pharisees. That is not what we want. That is not what we want, brothers and sisters. Well, they learn to perform on the dime because they're going to get the glare from their mom or the glare from their dad or they're going to get spanked because they want to just be well behaved. Don't embarrass me. When we go into their house, I don't want you to see you do this. You be polite. You say please and thank you. Don't make me look bad. 
You know who you are. We all have that bent in our own heart. And that's about us. That's not about them. We want heart transformation. Well-behaved children make us feel good, but their heart may not be changed. Our children need to know Jesus. Without Jesus, our children are lost, brothers and sisters. They're lost. And he's their only rescue from their sin-sick heart. I said it earlier, training, instruction, and correction and discipline is a rescue mission. It really is. You're lovingly applying the wisdom skills of parenting to create the necessary friction against your child's natural inclination towards folly. So in our parenting, you need to continually apply the gospel truths to your training and correction. You need to lovingly discipline them, demonstrating the consequences of their sinful actions and their selfish actions and holding them accountable Teaching them that there's an objective standard of right and wrong. You're just not arbitrarily making this up. God has a standard of right and wrong. We need to teach them that when they sin, when they miss the mark, they need to turn to their Savior. They need to turn to Him because they need Him just like you need Him. And they need to know that you need Him as well. Discipline is an opportunity for a gospel conversation. Don't just see it as just a handing out of punishment because they're bothering you and they messed up again and they keep messing up. It's an opportunity for, for you to bring the gospel of grace to bear upon their young hearts and begin to shape a heart of wisdom in your children. So important. We want them to know the grace and forgiveness of God. How Christ took upon himself the punishment for our sins so that we would be forgiven. When you discipline your kids, they need to know that. We need to model God's character of love and grace and forgiveness. Let your kids see grace. If you're going to err, err on the side of grace. Apply lots of loving discipline, but err on the side of grace and forgiveness in your home. Proverbs 22.6 should not burden us with guilt and condemnation for our failures as parents. Though we're going to have those. What it should do is cause us to be vigilant and committed to teaching, instructing, correcting, and disciplining our children. And pointing them to the gospel of the grace of our Lord. Brothers and sisters, we've been given a hard task. And you might not feel up to the challenge. And there are days where you are going to blow this miserably. I've got a lot of those stories. So do you. But just like we want the gospel to be brought to bear upon our children's heart, we need to bring the gospel to bear upon our own heart, our own sinfulness, and our own selfishness. And allow the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to continue to transform us as we want to see him transform the hearts of our children as well.